3: In this podcast we chat about the draw to Bournemouth, the defeat to Huddersfield, we look ahead to Swansea with Luke from the Swanscast podcast and of course we answer your podcast questions. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast and this is our Borough Mashday Chatter in a pod.
1: I want support, Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air, uh, Fleming for Craig Hignett, hit it Higgy, Higgy hits the trackball! I don't
0: know they're coming alive again. Giannino wants the ball played to him, and spot's out. Emerson!
3: Hello and welcome to the Bora Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Denner and Tom. We are the Bora Podcast that gives you all of your Bora match day chatter. In a podcast and just before we start this week I just want to say don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Apple uh, by pressing the plus button on our profile and also on the same for Spotify as well and don't forget to rate us too. Um, We've got 430 reviews across uh, Apple and Spotify and how good would it be if we get to 500 before the end of the season. But now that's over. Um, Let's chat about the Borough then, because they draw against Bournemouth and a 2-0 defeat against Huddersfield on Monday. So Borough dropped to ninth in the championship table with four games to play. Guys, as it's Easter weekend, uh, I just want you to sum up how you're feeling as an Easter egg. Uh, Dana, do you want to go first?
2: I'm going to go for a Turkish delight Easter egg. Horrible and shite
3: oh i didn't even know you could have a turkish delight easter egg um well i googled
2: what... it apparently you can i don't know who would buy that well my dad would but still <laughs> awful <laughs>
3: this is where we're gonna find like a lot of Bora fans that love turkish delight easter eggs yeah <laughs> um... i'm gonna get
2: canceled,
4: <laughs> uh tom how are you feeling uh as an easter egg well, I'm gonna say something probably about as controversial as when I said I didn't like sauce last season or the season before, whenever it was. Mendez Lang scored, but the cream egg Easter egg, uh, right. for the same reason as Dana, they're they're absolutely horrible, and I wouldn't wouldn't touch one. So, yeah, not, that, not, not having that,
2: Tom. I'm having that
4: here. That's disgusting behaviour. That's absolutely disgusting <laughs> behaviour. Um, I'll, C- I'll cream go eggs with- are one of the world's worst inventions. They are saying it. Well, that's the Borough Breakdown Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay,
3: well, on that point, Michelle, Tom, I'm going to move on. um, And let's cover Bournemouth first. Um, So, the start of the weekend, Borough travelled to Scott Park as Bournemouth. The Cherries were sitting second and still are. And Borough moved one point closer to the playoff places with a nil-nil draw at the Vitality. It wasn't... (coughs) really a good game and nothing really happened on Good Friday. You can even describe it as a quiet Friday. Um but Dana, <laughs> how would you assess the performance against Bournemouth?
2: Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat. Um not down to excitement but because I couldn't see a thing. I mean we had our dingy dark green away kit on and there was a big shadow being cast on that side of the of the stadium and it made it really uncomfortable to watch. It was um difficult. But, yeah, it was a a very low-quality football match, although I thought defensively we were okay by the corner that Lerma hit the crossbar from. But, again, so many players looked off it. Uh, Bowlers passing in the first half, I thought, was incredibly poor. Uh, Crooks has kind of continued to tank in form. Um, Jones was struggling to impose himself. There was a few... Balls hit up towards him, crossfield balls from it there that he just couldn't get under his spell. They flicked off his foot straight out for a throw and then I mean, was Connolly even playing? It was um yeah, it was a really really strange afternoon, but it was a good point at the time. I'm happy we didn't roll over and get completely Uh, torn apart by Bournemouth because to be honest that's what I'm accustomed to seeing but it was only a good point after that game not really so much a good point now after the result today against Huddersfield
3: yeah and we'll come on to to Huddersfield in just a moment but but Tom it's a good it was a good point on the road but do you think Borough could have got a little bit more against Bournemouth who definitely unlucky not to get a penalty as well
4: yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the penalties were the, the main talking points uh, around if, if we should have got more because I don't think other than that we did too much else. But I thought it was a solid performance otherwise. Um, <clears throat> definitely should have been penalties. There was, you know, two incidents of handball on the same kind of passage of play, and I'm, I'm shocked at how the linesman didn't get either of them considering they were right in front of him. But then again, I, I probably shouldn't expect referees to give an away penalty when it comes to playing at the Vitality because uh, <laughs> the the amount of times I've seen Bournemouth play there and just fall over and get penalties has been ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I mean, if we'd have got one of those, I could have seen it being kind of similar to that away game against Norwich in uh, in the playoff season. It, it would have been tense. We, I think we could have ground it out, but uh, they, they were kind of really our, our main chances. And I mean, not Not even chances really, but you know half chances that we we probably should have got a penalty from
3: mm. yeah, and i I'd agree with with both your points there around like nothing really happened in the game, it was a solid performance, and I think the penalties as well. We should have probably had one or two. Um, but then who who got the who won your poll by the way and who was most likely to dive? Just out of curiosity before I move on to I think another question. It,
2: I think it was Todd Cantwell. on that, by the way, I've done that poll two times. Um, and Adam Smith's always in there and people always underestimate him. I, I feel like he's the one at that Bournemouth team that is susceptible to diving the most. He's just a little rat. So yeah, <laughs> I think he was I think he was vastly underrated there in that poll.
3: He's the Tom Daly of Bournemouth, um, but let's move on slightly because there was a performance which I think was worth writing home about, and that was Sol Bamba's performance. I think the 37-year-old who got man of the match has become quite a fan favourite on T side, and especially with the warm reception against Huddersfield uh, as well. But Dan, have you been have you been surprised how how good Sol was, um, and he, when he when he has played this season, um, especially on Friday?
2: Yeah, he was good on Friday. I I wish I could praise him more, but then he followed that up with a not-so-good performance today against Huddersfield. But against Bournemouth, just looking at that in isolation, he was very good. Um, It was a a marvellous defensive display really and there was a moment where he picked it up and then he just ever so casually um, just worked the ball past I think it was a pressing forward maybe in Solanke um, and it was. it's good to see that from Sol but it's just unfortunate really unfortunate that he couldn't follow it up with another good performance. It was good though to see the reception that he got after the game um, at the Vitality he was kind of overcome with, with emotion I don't think he was quite expecting so much of a good reception and to be honest I think he has probably exceeded my expectations of him when he signed, I wasn't really expecting much. I, I didn't even think he'd play at all, to be honest. Maybe a couple of appearances in the cup competitions, but in the games that he has played, I think by yesterday, uh, sorry, by today, against Huddersfield, I think he has been at large, quite quite dependable. But as I said, it's just a shame that he he was probably one of the worst players on the pitch today. So, yeah, the the life of a footballer, eh?
3: Yeah, it, it's very much up and down. But I think overall, Tom, what's, what's your thoughts on, on Solly? Uh, obviously, there is murmurs that it could be retiring at the end of the season regardless. So but what's your, what was your thoughts on his performance on the, on the Friday? And is, have your expectations been exceeded as well?
4: Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, I, I didn't... I mean, I kind of did think we would be signing him as soon as he started training with us. And then he played that game for the under-23s against, what, like Redcar or something? I was like, yeah, <laughs> Warnock's definitely signing him, isn't he? But uh, as we're like I, I didn't really expect him to play that much. I just expected that he would be signed. Um, and then the, the first couple of games, I was, um, you know, he, he had a great display against Sheffield United, I don't all. I think I was thinking, mm-hmm. how how is he still managing to kind of pull these performances out, especially every, after everything he's been through? Um, Bournemouth game, I thought he was outstanding. I was a little bit worried for that game. Uh, with you know Solanke uh and, and you know the p- the pace that Bond have in their team. I was worried about how he might cope with it, but I thought he did exceptionally well. Um but then as Dana said, it's uh it's a shame he's kind of followed that up with with the performance today because you know I was thinking about it, I was like, I'd love to to really kind of praise him quite a lot and you know potential praise and place nomination for later and stuff and Mm. and it, it does that today and I'm like oh, it, it's the same as uh, what happened last week I think it was Tav or Bola last week I think every time I get ahead of myself and think who oh, oh, I'm going to put in the prison <laughs> place it's the dude something yeah. like that we
3: might have to start calling it the curse place, I think, because everything that we do is just we just curse, particularly once we've praised them. Um, but just before we move on uh, to, to Huddersfield, then Matt Crooks picked up his 15th card of the season and is now missing for three games, two more, appreciate, after the game against Huddersfield. Tommy, the one big disappointment from Bournemouth was him getting that suspension. And is it disappointing in the way that he's been consistent and picking up yellow card time after time after time?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we we've always had players who will do it. Um, you know, you gotta love kind of a shit. I was player who's it was going to make a tactical foul and and stuff. Adam Clayton was probably the prime example of it under Carranga. Um, but it, it's just how silly some of the ones from from Crooks had been with with Clayton or it, it, even with kind of like Morsey under 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 Warnock. You could see at least there was a reason for it, but. There's been some of the yellow cards that have just been a bit kind of clumsy on his on his part, and he just needs to work that, that out with his game. Hmm.
3: Do you think that with Piero coming back um, in the under-23s, I think it was the day before, uh, he played 45 minutes there, do you think that there is a chance that Piero, if he is fit, that he can stake the claim for the shirt in the last couple of games?
4: I'd like to see it. Um, I was thinking second half today after we were sitting all down kind of Right, season's over now, so <laughs> um like who do we kinda play for for the next few games? I mean, personally I was thinking of the top two. I'd be playing Coburn and Watmore as are the only two who are gonna be here next season. But then I was also thinking I'd play Pierre on the on the right hand side of the the three. Um, you know, he has got a couple of games now where Crooks is suspended, uh that he can potentially uh, force his way in. Um, but also I'd, I'd really expect that next season would, would be one where he can kick on. So, you know, as, as long as he is fit enough to play them, uh, I think he'd, it'd be worth kind of getting him more acclimated to this system uh, ahead of next season. Okay,
3: then. Um, well, let's move on to Monday then in the game against Huddersfield because, Bora welcome playoff rivals Huddersfield to the Riverside and goals from Nabisar. And former Borough striker Jordan Rhodes who scored for the first time at the Riverside um, and also has two goals in 30 games um, and gave the Territors a 2-0 win at the Riverside um, and that curse was brought to you by Dana Malt the Malt curse the official curse <laughs> I didn't actually say it on the podcast club.
2: though <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually say it on the podcast though it was on our group chat I was like oh yeah and uh, yeah John Rhodes has never scored against Middlesbrough there we go John Rhodes has scored against Middlesbrough <laughs> This won't, oh, this.
3: this won't be the first time you hear. This won't be the first time you of the mock curse in this podcast. But we'll move <laughs> on. Um, but the the one obviously big change that we've seen on uh, for Bournemouth and it was again um, on on Huddersfield today was uh, Luke Daniels uh, being in goal. Uh, Tom, do you think that change now is the, it? Yeah, that's the only change we're going to see. Daniels is going to stay in goal and uh, probably no more until the end of the season.
4: Well, I mean, who knows? If Daniels does something similar to what Lumley's done, he might get dropped as well. But <laughs> the um, the last couple of games, I can say, I've got really kind of no complaints with him. I thought it was a, a big decision for, for Wild at make on Friday. I thought it proved the right one at the time. Um, and then today, I don't think there was too much he could have done against uh, against either goal. Um, I, I, I did think today um, the indirect free kick um very very brave in, in charging that down uh, as a goalkeeper and you know i thought, I thought he did really well in stopping it um but no I, i'd expect him to be there till the end of the season now barring uh you know any kind of like major mishaps in which case we might actually see, see Solburn. but uh you know he's, he's not done a lot wrong in the in the last couple of games um you know personally he's done better than i expected him to because that spell he had earlier in the season i'd still kind of went for, you know, Lumley was still higher in my opinion up until a couple of games ago uh, than he was. But no, he's, he's coming and, and done well, so he should keep the gloves for the rest of the season. With
3: that, then Dana, it was the second time that Joel Lumley's been dropped. Twice by, once by Neil Warnock and now by Chris Wilder. It's not very good for the confidence, is it?
2: It isn't, but to be honest, it is deserved because you mm-hmm. have to account or the the errors that he's made so far in a Borussia have kind of outweighed probably any other goalkeeper. Um or what what a goalkeeper normally would in maybe three seasons. It's just, it's unbelievable, the mistakes and the points that he's cost. I'd say maybe five or six points have probably been lost as, as a result of uh, goalkeeping errors. And, I mean, you could probably double that for blunt strikers and blunt finishing uh, this season, which we'll probably get on to. But it's no surprise, really. Lumley's a, a number two. He's just the number two goalkeeper in every sense. And we picked him up being the number two goalkeeper for QPR. And I must say a, a very poor side in QPR defensively anyway, one of the worst in the championship uh, the season before we brought him in. And um, I think we pr- pretty much got what what was expected. He was loaned out to Gillingham and Doncaster in the league below, which pretty much says it all. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. To be honest, looking back at Lumley signing, I'm really surprised that he came in as a number one because I kind of thought at the time he'd be our number two. But it is what it is. I don't think we'll see him again this season.
3: Yeah, uh, I'd agree with you as well. Um, I think I agree with both of your opinions too around around Daniels. He's been relatively quite safe um, over the last two games. And I think today, I don't think he has a chance for for either goal, uh, to be honest. Um, But let's move on to the overall performance then and how we would assess things, because it was a big result for both sides, pretty much cementing Huddersfield uh, in the playoff places, and then also for Borough to drop down to ninth as well, uh, and with Millwall moving to seventh place, and of course, as we're recording, the Sheffield United are currently playing too, but we'll, we'll come with that uh, in a little bit later on in the show, but in terms of the overall performance, guys, I kind of want to hear your assessment on it and your give, give me your overviews uh, before we start breaking down the goals and, and, and so forth like that. But Dana, how would you assess that performance against Huddersfield?
2: Just blunt as buggery again. I mean, it was a make or break game for us and we broke. We had 11 corners in the match. So many opportunities from set pieces and very little created from them. And, you know, Huddersfield obviously scored from one. They are very potent. The the most um, efficient team from set pieces in the championship this season. And it made me think about how pathetic we are from them. I mean, we have... The, the kind of bog standard um, corner kick routines, the outswinger, the inswinger, short corner, changing the angle. And then I looked at Huddersfield, the movement in the box from sort of outside the 18 yard box to inside it. I just think it's, um, I, I think it says a lot. It, it brings up a lot of questions. But as for the, The performance as a whole, we just, I mean, we had all the possession, didn't we? But very little conviction. It was almost as if we took Scott Parker's tactical handbook from the game down at Bournemouth (laughs) and decided to play with his methods of football. It was really disappointing and... I mean, that was their first win here since January 1986. We probably should have expected it, to be honest, because those runs always have to end at some point. But, yeah, it was just very toothless up front again. I mean, our last few XG performances... Uh, 0.52 against Hull, 0.64 against Bournemouth, 0.72 against Huddersfield. We're not creating meaningful chances. And you only have to look at the Fulham game, 1.53 expected goals in that game, two expected goals against Peterborough. The past three games, our creativity has just almost disappeared. And I think that's a massive, massive red flag. Um, And it's just... Yeah, it's it really disappointing. I feel so flat after that game today.
3: Yeah, I I'd echo that as well. Tom, just how 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 were you echoing uh, Dana's thoughts there as well? Are you a bit worried about the, the lack of goals too in the last three games?
4: Yeah, I mean I found myself in the second half thinking when was the last time I actually saw a score? Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a worry and just really disappointed after after that one, especially because I was saying on the way out from the ground, I haven't watched it back yet, but it didn't feel to me like they really outplayed us. Like we've we have seen a couple of 2-0s at the Riverside where we've lost in the last month. It would have been easier to take if it was similar to the Chelsea game where it was like, okay, it was fair enough, it was a better team that played through us. But we had so much of the ball and we just we didn't seem to have any ideas on how to actually create any chances. I'm getting concerned about the right hand side because everyone seems to have figured out how to play against Jones. Now, it did seem like every time he got the ball against Huddersfield, there were either two or three people on him. At that point, it it definitely reminded me of what happened to uh, to Adama when he was playing playing for us. Um, and I don't a bit worried about the left hand side as well because although we do look more attacking with bowler in that position than Neil Taylor we don't sink the fashion any uh any chances with decent substance from that side um which which was a concern and and nothing really from the middle as well but i was thinking about what might be causing it and i i feel like some mental fatigue might be uh setting in on the players after after such a kind of long long campaign there were times in the second half, I'm thinking, because I was looking straight straight down the pitch at it, there were runs from, say, what Watmore, Corburn, up front, and, say, if, if Housen was running through midfield, there would be a gap, and if he was a little bit quicker, he could have played it through that gap through the channel, and, or, like, uh, you know, one of the strikers would have had the, the chance in the box to at least get a shot off, and those passes from centre midfield just weren't happening. Or if they were happening, they were to carve more space down the wings, which would then get cut out when when the balls crossed in. Um, and it and seemed like every time we were kind of fashioning a half chance to have a shot, they were getting someone to block it. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we've kind of been well and truly found out on, on how we attack now. Um, and I don't think the the mental fatigue from from the players will be will be helping much either, which is why I'm kind of more in favour of for the next few games playing the the players that will be here next season, but also probably have a point to prove them uh, more like the likes of Corburn and and Pierre, just because they will be a little bit fresher and in, in that mindset. I think
3: mm. I think with with both your points around like being found <clears throat> out offensively, there's the there clearly has been a pattern from an away side who come coming to the Riverside, the the defensive blocks have become a bit more rigid, a bit more low block. And I feel like with, with Borough, the tempo hasn't been as 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 strong as you kind of want it mm. to be. I think especially when, when, yeah. you, when you're on the ball and you've got possession, you're playing against these type of sides. I think it, the way you dictate the play means, uh, it, it, it means a lot really. I think with what Borough are trying to do and get the ball outside, outside of Jones, why are we taking so long to distribute that ball over? They're able to get into shape a lot quicker. They're able to get the man on two or three men on to Jones, make things difficult for him. And then he's not going to be taking on players um, is what you probably see him earlier in the season when we were moving the ball a little bit quicker, getting him out wide. It was one-on-one versus the defender. He's able to take him on and get a good ball in the box. Now, it's a bit slower um, and a bit more... I feel like we just need an extra gear or two to try and get the ball moving a little bit quicker. Um, but I think today was a prime example of when we were moving the ball at a slow pace and I think even McNair to be really critical and, and the, the 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 need for a left centre half um, I think when, when every time McNair got the ball he shifted it on his right foot and then moved it over to baller and that split second and that 1% difference is so big in football and I think well, we have to work a little bit quicker on the ball but then also don't be afraid to play through a side and be and give a direct pass through I think sometimes we've played it I think I can echo Wilder and say that we played it too safe at times, and I fully agree with, with what he said about it because when we had the opportunity to try and play forward, we didn't. We stopped and played sidewards, and it's easy to defend against. If you've got a good shape about you, you're playing a low block, you're going to nullify Borough's attack and threat. And what we were doing as well, it was starving our strikers of probably any chance of any uh, service, really, and I think we'll come on to that in a second actually no let's let's go on to to it now then because you know it's it's been what with all the possession that we've had and in the, in the last three games it's one point from four games but then also with all the possession we've got one of a goal why do you think we are struggling to find the net then? do you think it's kind of that slow tempo or do you think is there a bit more to it
2: I think I echo what Tom says about the fact that we've been found out. It was always going to happen because, of course, clubs have video analysts. They'll know how potent a threat we have down that right hand side. And there's just absolutely no way that we could have continued the rest of the season, just kind of not coasting, but enjoying so much success down that right you're going to get teams that are going to double, even triple up on us. I think Sheffield United did it really effectively where they had three men on Jones and it was really difficult to break through. But I completely agree with what you were saying there, Johnny, about the lack of quickness to our play. There was a moment where Sol Bamba tried to up the tempo in the first half and then it just got slowed right back down again. And it was just, I don't know, there was... People talk a lot about the urgency and things like that, but I just feel like that difference to... I don't know, pull a player out of position, that quick, incisive decision-making in the final third is so important that we just haven't had and... As I said, with the XG, people will hate XG, and that's absolutely fair enough, but I think it's a good metric to weigh up the quality of chances that we've had, and I think overall, under Chris Wilder, the creating chances hasn't been a problem, but the past three XG numbers are a big worry. worry. I mean, 0.52, 0.64, 0.72, it's just it's not good. And I think Wilder said after one of the games, I think it might be in Reading at home, he doesn't want the plan B to be just hoofballs forward, to be honest I've kind of seen that of late. and I'm just wondering and for the game today I thought shift it to a 3-4-3 three, three because with Crooks out suspended you probably have a, a prime opportunity there to rejig our attacking structure, I've said on the podcast that Connolly's a, a wide forward I think Balogans uh, would be good as a wide forward as well, although I can kind of see him as almost the the support striker the link striker in a 2, maybe in the David McGoldrick role, but I just don't see the the benefit of that forward line. And and somebody said it, the guy in front of me, the match said it today, that you could probably pick our strikers out of a hat. And that's it. There's no no one striker that's really staked a claim. It's just we're always looking at the best of a bad bunch, aren't we? And I think we've been found out the plan A is kind of breaking down. We don't really have a plan B. And in regards to today's performance, just the tempo against a I mean, they were playing two banks of four at, at, at points during the game. We just could not break through. And yeah, I think teams have done their homework on us. And unfortunately, we have no count, kind of counter to we have no move to counter that.
3: Mm. Yeah, and as as the game goes on and teams start to get a bit more a bit more confidence in the game, they know when I break them down. That's when they're starting to come into games. I think Hulls a prime example where that low block mm-hmm. turned to a mid block, and that mid block became a bit more aggressive, and then they are able to really dictate the play um, and, and get on top of us in, in that game. But Tom, what, why do you think Boro struggling as well? Do you think would you record Dana's thoughts there around
4: uh, around the rotation side of things? What, what, do you, what do you think it is? Yeah, I mean. Uh... I think it's just uh, that we have been kind of found out a little bit, but also just to go back to what I, I said earlier about the, the kind of mental fatigue, I noticed I didn't really kind of give any examples on that because I was rambling at the time, but <laughs> we've seen many examples of it in the last few games where passes will be going behind a player rather than into the path. Um, you know, there, there were points today, not, not to kind of single him out, because I think he has been one of our better players recently, but, the ball was getting cleared off a free kick or a corner. I think there was no one pressuring. There was no one in our half, but like Dyke still's jogging back to get the ball. And, uh, you know, there was some of the corners that Houseman and Tav were taking, they were just taking a little bit too long to get there. And like, there's there's real, no real kind of urgency uh, to to get the ball back into the box or up the tempo or anything like that. Um, it, it just seems like that, like I said, that mental fatigue might be setting in, but also that might be affecting us when we get into these attacking positions as well and that we have no kind of creative thinking for a plan B. I think we do in, in kind of fits and starts. I think, uh, you know, like, sort of like Tav and McGree try things, but when they do, no one's kind of really on the same wavelength and, and it, it doesn't really come off. Um, so I, I think that that might be one of the main issues at the moment. Mm. But it's always
2: but been a it- problem, that like- sorry it's always been a problem though our our sort of lack of clinical edge and it's a catch-22 really because sometimes we'll have it that our creativity is fine but we just can't finish our dinner and then it'll be the other way around and it's like why do we consistently have this problem where we just cannot be a, a team that you know is is ruthless and clinical and I was looking into it uh, the other day Borough goals versus the the top half league average over the seasons and in 3 of the 5 uh 3 of the last 5 seasons that we finished in the top half we've fallen below the top half league average goal scored the the worst one was in 2018-19 where we scored 49 goals in that tony purliss team and the top half you know. league <laughs> yeah, the top half league average goal scored uh for that season was 71 it's just constantly we I mean, we've had two of the most potent goal scorers in championship history at the football club. We've had coaches that have scored plenty of goals throughout their careers Robbie Keane, James Beattie. We cannot, we just cannot be a team that sorts this problem out. If it's not the forwards being erratic, it's the creativity being a problem. If the creativity is fine, it's the forwards being erratic. It's just. It's really frustrating, isn't it, that, again, this problem's reared its head. I will say, and I'll echo my point, overall, in Chris Wilder's tenure, the creativity hasn't been a problem. It's just the last three games, again, it's reared its head, which is is unfortunate. And I think it definitely has made me feel a lot less confident about our playoff hopes.
4: I'm yeah, looking forward to seeing what we do in terms of the strikers next season. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's only really Corburn and and more who will still be here, unless we plan giving Uchi and Akpom a run in the team as well. But <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd, I'd assume we have plans in the summer to to replace the lone strikers who will leaving and then hopefully more permanent options and stuff. But just uh, I, I think that's one of the the main areas that Wilders needed to to address in this system. Uh, just looking forward to seeing who we get, and hopefully an improvement on uh, how clinical we can be.
3: Yeah, uh, I think it's it's also it's the way that it's it's to, to be honest. I think this position that we're in, the three times that we haven't scored, um, it's where Wilder will make his money because he has to refine this this attacking strategy. He has to refine the way we play. He has to identify the patterns of play that aren't being as effective as they have been in previous weeks. I think our goal average xG then it must be. I still think it must be one point eight or two you know what i actually surely i actually
2: i looked at our xg yesterday in terms of an xg table we're second for that so we are massively massively underperforming um in that metric and don't want to well i'm going to say i don't want to single them out i'm going to single them out anyway um spara is particularly um wasteful when it comes Mm. to that
3: yeah, mostly Spiran, and you obviously got Connolly not, not scoring goals either, and it's difficult. But I think Boras' stra- uh, Boras' offensive line has really taken a hit for like the last few weeks, and we we do create chances, we're just not putting them away. And like you said, there, dinner when it does dry up, do we have that bit of magic that can really uh, can break a game down? I think under Carranco where we had Ramirez, where things were side was the tempo wasn't there. You had just I know it's it's really cliche to say you have that bit of magic, but. So when you has got the ball, yeah, once you do have that little bit of magic at times, you can break teams down in on that one goal. I think for Borough, if we were able to score first today, mm-hmm. score first against uh, Fulham, score first against Hull, we're talking a completely different story. Because I think we go on to win those games more convincingly. Um, I don't think the team's players off the park in the last what few games. I just think we've kind of been our own downfall. And, and Tom, when you're on about mental fatigue as well, Defensively, and I'm gonna probably I'm gonna break this goal down, um, which uh, Huddersfield scored today. And it's the first one. Um, and going into the game, the Terriers actually had uh, 16 goals from set players uh, this season. And I'm gonna quickly change our camera angle uh, as well to see if I can and get this up. Uh, let's see if we can do it. Um, so moving into uh, this one, we're going to the first one. Uh, so before the before even a, a ball's being kicked, um, there's so many errors in this goal. Um, and it's all down to cause and effect. Um, and just before we start, the, we can talk about the lines, um, and then also we can a little bit move it before forward as well. And We're looking at uh, the way that Mills' defensive line is actually shaped up, and I'll go into more of like a full screen uh, for the people that are watching it. So before it's being kicked, and, and the reason why I'm on about uh, cause and effect um, is because a, a cause and an effect is where someone who would probably give the ball away. Uh, as an example, he's kind of, he's been, you know, he's, he's given the ball away. And a lot of fans will go, well, he's the, the main problem here. He's, he's the cause of the, the issue. When really he's not, because it could be, he could have given the ball away because of three, three attacking players could have been blocked off by other people. He's dilly dallying on the ball and he's gave away from that. But anyway, on, on the set piece on the two clips uh, I showed before this, the uh, one before I've paused it, I thought at first Chris Wild was really, really harsh um, to say that. You know we shouldn't really have a three-man wall here. Um, we should have had more of a two. And I thought mm, maybe let's let's have a look in. Let's, let's let's dig into it. And I'm looking at the distance from the the actual for the fr- actual free kick. Um, is it is very very far out. This free kick. There is not a chance uh that they're going to probably have a shot from from about four about thirty-five to forty yards here. So this is clearly going towards the back post. It's an in swinger. We know it's going to be a difficult area. With that. You could probably say that when you look at Borough's defensive line as well, three men are in the line. If you take one that man out that wall, you actually have a, a much more structured defensive line. And then that also stops uh, everyone. Like Everyone has one man. Everyone's man-marked. When you look at Borough's philosophy, is, is when they do defend set pieces, they do man-mark. Um, they're quite reluctant to do a zonal mark. And they do it to some extent. But man-marking is kind of our philosophy. That's how we wanted to do it. Be a bit, we're a bit more aggressive on that that defensive line is really really poor and when we're looking at probably that first that first clip we're on the edge of our box um Duncan Watmore's pointing to a free man at the back post and also we've got three men in the wall and then we've also got two people at the back so we've we've created there's clearly an overload at the back post here. um so when we're looking at probably that that, that clip to Duncan Watmore's pointing and he's saying, oh, guys, look, there's there's an overload on the, on the back post. And Saul Bambert drops deep uh, because of this. But not only that, when we're looking at Riley McGree, he's ball-watching. And there's also, if you want to be a little bit further down the line as well, um, which is probably this clip here. Um, yeah, when you're looking at Borough's defensive line, there's about four or five Huddersfield players ahead of Borough players already. So before the ball's even being kicked, we're already out of possession. We're already out of position. But then also, Huddersfield lines, uh, uh, attacking lines, are already in front of ours. So this has caused a lot of issues already before the ball is even being kicked. And this is where the effect comes in. So all that cause of the the overload, the back post, the three men against the wall, what more not picking up a man, has caused that overload and, and that effect. So Bamba, what he does is, bless him, he, he drops deep. And he drops really deep. Um, and the reason why he does it, I think he's doing two, trying to do two things here. One, he's trying to get leverage because he thinks the ball is going to probably come deep, but not as deep as he expects it to go. Um, so he can try and get a running on the header and try and even knock it out uh, to where Watmore is or try and get out for for a corner kick. But it doesn't. It goes a little bit deeper. And as Middlesbrough haven't picked up the extra men out wide, um it's very, very easy for Huddersfield to get the ball headed back in and then Naby Sa is actually by himself and then easy 1-0 uh, to, to Huddersfield. And I think that when you look at philosophy of, of, of set pieces and you want to start to really delve deeper and you want to even want to go back into the Bournemouth game, with Middlesbrough having that aggressive man-marking system, very, 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 very simple. Basic is mark your men, get goal side. Something that very, very basics of football. If we did have two men in the wall, we were able to probably attribute that. But also, if you really want to be like picky, if Matt Crooks did not get a card against Bournemouth, I don't think this goal actually happens either because he's going to be probably marking at the back post with Solbamba, Bamba, and then also with that as well. I think when we're looking at defensive shape and that defensive line. It's it's so poor. I think for me, you can have three. You can have three lines. You can either go on the penalty spot and be really really deep, um, and that's if, that's if you have more like uh, taller players, um, which is tends to say go and knock it in. We'll hope for the best. But then you can also have that mid one between the penalty spot and the and the edge of the penalty box. But Borough was so aggressive. They're trying to stand on the penalty box, and I feel like with us having more attacking players on the pitch and also being relatively quite small, I feel like we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot there, and we've just. Give away a really, really soft goal. But there's just so many things you can point out in this goal. The, the man marking, the line, uh, Bamba's body position. You can even look at players uh, looking at the ball. You can also, if you really want to go at a more depth as well, you can actually start looking at body shape. Um, but I feel like we just probably won't have time to do that. But the, the actual body shape of the players as well, um, where they're all standing still and they all turn around and they're all flat-footed you can even look at that as well um, and I feel like it's just such a disappointing goal to give away um, and you know it's it's very easy to to probably defend against that but Middlesbrough haven't and I feel like that's kind of a shown and, and a sign of mental fatigue defensively as well and really bad organisation too but you know that is part of the part and parcel of the game and a team that scored 16 now 17 set pieces uh, this season and pretty much I think they are best in the league for that now is it? They are yeah well it, they yeah. were
2: anyway yeah
3: so for me I think it's really poor. But that now, Mills only picked up one point in the last four games. So are we actually putting that down to mental fatigue then? Are we putting it down to being found out? Do you think that is the catalyst um for for Boris Farmer? we put it down to something completely different? Is it is it Chris Wilder going to Burnley rumours? Is he is he is he the reason why we're losing games oh, now? Um <laughs> but um but in terms of the defeat, how are you how are your playoff chances now do you think it's pretty much done and dusted then and you're kind of like right let's leave it to next season but there, there is still a chance
2: yeah there is still a chance and it is still mathematically possible and I suppose whilst that is the case I don't want to be completely doom and gloom here but from what I've seen the past three games in fact even the Fulham game as well we had chances in that we couldn't put them away it's a massive as I've said a massive red flag the fact that now we can't really even create anything meaningful and um, I just yeah I, I know Sheffield United are playing as we're recording. People obviously know the result um, when they're listening to this, but I think even if Sheffield United drop points, focusing on our own game for a second, I really I can't really see us doing the business for ourselves because I don't know where the goals are going to come from. We've been found out on that yeah. right hand side. I don't think as much has been offering up on the left. Um I, yeah, I I think it's probably. It's fading out. If there was a loading screen, it would probably be on maybe like 85% done in terms of our playoffs. But it was interesting, Wilder said after the game, uh, it's sort of unravelling in terms of players that will be good enough to take us through on the journey. And he talks a lot about the journey. He basically said that this game was a big indicator of who's going to be a part of that and who isn't. And I think there's an awful lot of players that you could say that were on that pitch today that there's question marks over them.
4: Okay, Tom? Yeah, I mean, just to pick up on Dana's last point, there, I think uh, we're probably in for a bit of a restructure in the in the summer. Um, but in terms of playoff chances, I'd say it's very unlikely now. Um, I, mean, I said earlier earlier on, even though I was joking, our oh, season's over now. We may as well like be playing everyone else. I mean, it is still mathematically possible, um, so I don't think we will kind of give up until it isn't. Um, but. I, I don't have much much hope for it to be honest. Um, I'd, I'd be amazed if we if we got into six now. I mean, Sheffield United currently drawing one one with uh, Bristol City. Maybe they might drop points there, but they have just equalised, so you'd think mm. momentum's in their favour there. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I don't think we'll we'll do it now personally, um, but I, I still think by the Swansea game. We'll, we'll be putting out a full strength team to to try and win that game obviously as you'd expect every game from from the football club but it's um it's not mathematically over yet i just i don't think we're going to manage it this year now
3: Okay then. Well, let's just before we move on to questions, then. So we'll quickly give a shout out to our sponsor and our charity that we're working with this year, the Morton Neurodegenerative Disease Association. Uh, we've raised our over two thousand uh, pounds, and that was our initial target uh, for the season. We've raised above that, so thank you very much for donating. But we are have raised it ever so slightly because we just want to raise it a little bit more for a fantastic charity, and also we're going to be working with them next season as well, which we're really really happy about. But let's talk about questions and the questions from you guys where you can send it in by via twitter at the borough breakdown or email the borough breakdown at hotmill.com or join our telegram chat uh, where over 150 borough fans are in there chatting all things Middlesbrough football club and as i was watching uh, looking at the chat earlier we were chatting about chris wilder's future um but we'll come to that a little bit later on um first question uh Tom, I want to come to you first. This is from Ben, and it's something that we've been chatting about on the podcast already. He says, are we being unfair criticising our strikers when we aren't creating clear chances?
4: Uh, I can definitely understand that argument, um, and and why people would just, would think that. I don't think it's unfair criticising anyone in the team at the moment. Um, at the same time, as we we're, we're not creating anything, they could be playing a, a bigger part in creating something. Um, you know, strikers' only uh, role isn't just to to score goals. We might expect a bit of link up play to, to help get them into those positions in the first place. <clears throat> I, I just think it's um, that links lacking a little bit between midfield and and striker at the moment. So I don't think it is too unfair um, to to criticize them for uh, well for not having clear chances because at the same time they're not doing their part in in helping create them. Okay, then we're going to stick with the, the strikers chat because Rob Wilson sent us a
3: a, a, a question on um, on Twitter, and he says, "How much of an impact has Wilder's determination to rotate the strike force impacted on Borough's lack of identity in the final third? Everyone else has pretty much had their place nailed down, regardless of dips in form or fixture congestion. Apart from the front two, surely that must be that must impact on how the team prepares for games." Also, knowing what runs players are likely to make in the final third, you look at any teams in the playoff place and they all have identifiable strikers and strike forces. Dana, do you think rotation is, is hindering Borough's attack and threat?
2: Potentially, yeah. I mean, I keep thinking back to when he dropped Balogun and Conley for the, for the Fulham game, but particularly Balogun. I didn't actually realise this at the time, but he was technically our most informed striker in terms of goals return. He'd scored six goals in seven games for both club and country, and then he was uh, rotated, shall we say, against Fulham. Obviously, he scored first his first goal against Sheffield United, then blanked against Millwall, scored again. Uh, against Birmingham the next game, blanked against Chelsea, scored three goals on international duty for England under-21s, then scored against Peterborough after the international break. And um, I, f- I feel like there's been a big conversation about our strikers, isn't it? And I said earlier, it's kind of picking the best of a bad bunch, but I just feel like with Balogun, I do believe in him and I know he's raw, he's young, he's a baby footballer, really. This is his first loan spell outside of the, the PL2, but I just I, I feel like we should have kept him in the team, and I, I feel like I know why Chris Wilder, or, or I can maybe guess why Chris Wilder had Sperand what more in for the Fulham game to run the channels. But Balogun was in good goal scoring form, and we need a goal scorer. So I, I, I understand he obviously came back for the the game against Hull, um, and I must I must say he was poor in that game. He was anonymous, but you're probably going to get that from a young, raw, inexperienced striker. I just. I would love I would have loved to have seen us persevere with with Ballaghan in particular. Um but yeah I feel like this is potentially a bit of a a weakness of Wilders because I'm pretty sure it was the case at Sheffield United as well maybe even uh, at Oxford probably have to look into that a little bit more, but he you, does you seem to be quite heavy on strikers. I've seen from from quite a few championship fans who kind of said that Chris Wilder just stacks up on the strikers and kind of hopes are the best, but yeah, potentially. Um, but then the, the players that have played, I suppose they haven't exactly shone. They haven't spotlighted mm-hmm. themselves as, uh, as strikers to play consistently. So yeah, it's, um, it's annoying, isn't it?
3: Very annoying, very annoying indeed. Um, the next question is from David, and he says, "How many of the current squad do you think will remain this summer, and how many will be get? Uh, how many will we get rid of? I predict uh, we will see at least nine or nine or more, even eleven. Uh, more likely eleven. So, how many do you think will stay
4: this season? How many do you think will go? Well, let's do a number. Uh Tom, what do you think?" I'm trying to think of a number off the top of my head here, just from how many people I think will go. Um, I can't see any of the loan players signing on for another year. Um, I don't think Peltier will come back for another year. I think at least one of the goalkeepers will go. Um, I think Stojanovic might finally get his his move as well because he's still on loan, isn't he? Somewhere. Um, I think they
2: do have an option to make it permanent. Um, oh my God, who is it? Ingolstadt. That's it, Ingolstadt.
4: Oche and Athpom, I think, will go. Um,
3: Spence is probably going to leave as well, Spence, you know, yeah. when he comes back. You've got to sort Bamber out of contract too. I think Johnny Housen has one more year.
4: Yeah, um, I mean, Bamber and Housen, I don't know about. I mean, Bamber might retire, um, but both Warnock and Wilder have said about the impact uh, that uh, Bamber and Peltier have had in the dressing room. I don't know if if that might be enough to kind of keep him around um, and house and I would expect to get another year, but I don't think he'll be first choice next season. Yeah, well, certainly he has, he has that year anyway. So
3: I mean, just the I mean maybe like I, I don't maybe let go of the year after, maybe and then see how he how he fares. But yeah, there's just so many that you can probably get rid of. But then it's such a big job, isn't it? I think in the summer, I think it's kind of like an underestimated job that we have because we have a lot of strikers. We bring in uh, competition for players, and we said that a lot on the last podcast um as well and not that big picture and trying to bring in players for, for a resale value too um the next question is from josh and um, he says should taylor be at the back in uh, that left wing back position ball has been poor since he came back in that wing back position um who was uh yeah essentially essentially that's how the question so it's more of a um do you think taylor should be in for baller um daniel do you want this one
2: I don't know. I think this is another potential problem position because it was probably only a couple of episodes ago that we were kind of saying that we're maybe a little bit too conservative with Taylor in the side and we need Baller in there for balance between the right and the left. I think Baller's a strange one. I really, really, really want to be convinced by him, but I'm just not. I think I, I was kind of thinking when Wilder came in, it'd be a big it would be a big moment for for Baller to kind of convince, and I just feel like there's still a lot of question marks. He's he just blows hot and cold for me, and there's a good player in there somewhere. But I just think with the summer rebuild, was what, is, what are we on six point not now? On twelve
3: point six or something like that. Yeah, something, something that like it.
2: that. <laughs> um, that he could potentially be upgraded. I've mentioned Connor Grant from Plymouth on the podcast before probably perfect for the way that we play, um, given that he's played in that position for Ryan Law's Plymouth and, and Stephen Schumacher's Plymouth now as well. I, oh, I don't know. I, I don't think we should put Taylor back in. But oh, I don't know. It's Yeah, I don't think we should put Taylor back in, but Bowler definitely does need to step up.
3: I-, I love Mark Baller, but he was poor there. I know you do. Um <laughs> <laughs> he was poor there. Um uh, but the next question was from T-side Teachers and say uh Middlesbrough could still make the playoffs and get promoted, uh, should we? And uh, on a really good day, uh we just hold our own against Premier League quality teams, but most of the time we're nowhere near. Uh do we need another season in the championship under Wilder? I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna say can we make it? Absolutely. We can still make the playoffs. Can we get promoted? Still, there's still up. There's anything can happen in the in the playoffs. Um, whether it's I think it's a bit unlikely uh, that we do, but and do we need another season in the championship? Like I've said, probably numerous times on the podcast, that big picture, Middlesbrough are going to be in a really positive place. I think, regardless of who whoever manager is going to be in next or whatever structure that we're going to have. Uh, I think the future is really bright. I think millsborough Middlesbrough are changing the way that they operate uh, off the pitch. And I think you want to see the fruits of that on it uh, probably in the next 18 months. I think you'll probably see a really good Middlesbrough side, um, regardless of what division we're in. I think obviously Championship or Premier League. Um, but the next question is from Chris. Um, he says, what do you think is going on behind the scenes? Uh, it's happened before uh, towards the end of the season, where we just lack creativity and drive to move the ball forward. And also, he alludes to the, the Wilder Truth uh, as well around potentially that Burnley. Because let's let's have a, a very one minute on it. Um, Chris Wilder was linked with the Burnley job. Um, obviously, there's there's always going to be a rumour kicking about the the odds um, across the and apps did decline. Uh, Tim is booked to be a favourite, and, and for someone who knows the the industry of gambling, um, I can categorically say. That it is all user behavior focused, and the only reason that bookies become favorites is because people put that fibers on it at high prices, which bring the odds down and make people favorite, which generate talk. So don't <laughs> follow the bookies and don't gamble, um, <laughs> don't throw your money away. Um, but any truth in Wilder going to Burley? Couldn't you potentially see it? No,
4: yes, Tom. why would you want to? Like, uh... So wooden wooden seats in the stadium and TVs made in 2003. Why would you want to give
1: the riverside for
4: that? Don't have five channels? What's going on? <laughs> don't even have that anymore because you can't have the five channels anymore. Can you? It'll just be static on their screens. But um, <laughs> um no, I, I think Wilder's in it for the long haul. Um, he's he's talked a lot when he came in, um, about kind of building the project and. You know, as, as Dana mentioned earlier, he's been, still been saying, kind of in his interviews, about the, the journey and who's on the journey and stuff like that. I, I think he's looking at this long term. Um, and I, I don't think he, he would go to Burnley. I'm trying to think last time we had a, a manager who people actually wanted, but uh, um, I, I can't remember if anyone ever tried to come in for, for Karanka or not. But um, I, I think it's all just kind of, uh, as you say, people putting daft money on it. And. Uh, and, and you know talk coming off off the off the back of that. I don't I don't think there's there's too much in it, uh touch wood, because I really don't want that to be true. Um but also I would hope that on the slim chance that it is true, this new kind of structure that we have in place at the at the club would take care of that. Um I f- I feel like with having kind of Kevin Scott there um and and you know driving this um you know strategy on the football side of things we'd be looking for a very similar manager to take over. Uh, and, and kind of, we we wouldn't have to be rebuilding again in the summer, and and you know looking at a completely different formation, it would be finding someone who slot right in and then fit uh, work with the players that we have.
3: Yeah, easy, easy answer. I would agree with that one hundred percent, Dana. You uh, can I give me a yes on answer? Do you think it's do you think there's any truth in it or not?
2: I ugh, you never know, dear. I think he's. Question dodging is a little bit unnerving, but I don't think he'll go. But then again, I am a curse, so maybe I should say that he will go so that he won't. <laughs> I <don't know. clears throat> Honestly, I I don't know, but I'd 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 hope that he doesn't. It would take me completely by surprise. I think it'd be really it really disappointing. <laughs> I really don't need this right now. I I feel so flat after the game today, and I've ran out of rosé, so um, I might need to get another one if that is true. <laughs>
3: Okay, then. well, I don't think he's going anywhere either. And as we release this, you watch, we will have to release it. And then Middlesbrough... Do another one. that I was
4: left. And it was like...
2: <laughs> yeah, emergency pod.
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> just having a quick check on Twitter now, just to make sure he's not already gone. <laughs> but so... <I> can <laughs> no, imagine that. Going nowhere.
3: He's going to go nowhere, in my opinion. But let's move on to the praise and place because it's the only place in the podcast where we give praise... Two players, staff, fans, dinosaurs, or even this week is an Easter themed an Easter egg. Um, who gets your nomination this week? It is a difficult week because you know of the results, not scoring as well, clutching at straws a little bit. The the bar could be low. Um, but Dana, who are you going to go for? Who gets your nomination?
2: Nobody. I honestly, Nobody. I can't. I think. Like Tom, earlier in the pod, I would have gone for Bamba, but he followed it up with uh, with a poor performance. Maybe, maybe diet Steel, but I just don't think it's enough to get in it, unfortunately. And this is probably the first time that I haven't had anyone to say, which I think shows the how good the players have been this season, but unfortunately, I just don't think I can put anybody in this week.
3: And Tom and Dana, is uh, Tom. Is there anyone going to be in that and place this week or are we going to go with no one?
4: Yeah, Dana, I'm glad you went first and said that because I was really thinking <laughs> nobody as well. <clears throat> I mean, all the way through this part, like since I talked about it earlier, I was like, is there actually anyone I can say? Like, I was kind of putting a, a case together for Daniels in my head, maybe. But like you say, the bar is very low. I know that I'd be putting Daniels in the praise and place for, for doing what's expected of a goalkeeper. So, yeah, I'm going to go on no one as well. Fair enough.
3: I'll, I'll quickly give a shout out to the fans for for going to bomb with uh, for that that kickoff as well. It was on the telly as well, so shout out to the fans for that. But I agree with you. I don't think anyone else gets the the position in the present place this week. Um, so that is. Uh... That is probably a first for, for all of us. But let's look ahead now. Let's look ahead to Swansea because we're travel to Wales to play Russell Martin, Swansea City, who drew 4 4 a day, I believe. Uh, is that mm, right? They correct. Did, yeah, yeah, they yeah four, that was four the four
2: result that relegated uh, Dar- Derby because obviously it was against Derby
3: County. Um, so let's look. on Hey. <laughs>
2: There's something to smile about today. The,
3: the second tier is everywhere. Um, the Swans <laughs> have had a transitional year uh, under the former MK Dons boss, but the future looks very, very bright. Uh, we spoke to Luke from the Swanscast podcast to see what they think about Saturday's game.
1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Hi lads, thanks for having me on. It's Luke from Swan's Cast here. Doing a quick voice note on my way to Reading at the moment um, for the away game we've got before your match uh, later in the week so apologies for any background noise but just a quick insight to how the Swans are looking this season under Russell Martin obviously took over at the start of the year Been a bit of a roller coaster of a campaign for us really changing the style of play but recent form has been quite good I think it's 6 undefeated in a row Um, one of the major wins in that period was against Cardiff South Wales Derby victory where um, actually if you weren't aware it's the first time any of the two teams has done a double this season so quite a big moment for us under Russell Martin um, so we wanted to push on from there and it does look like the club has managed to do so. Had two back-to-back wins after that game to cement that as a really good, to result in a really good week. We drew our last match out against Barnsley, a bit of a tough one, but with the fixtures coming thick and fast, I think you've got a got to take it sometimes when you get a point and don't lose the match, that's the most important thing, so definitely the form is looking on the upside, the style of play is starting to um, sort of work for us a bit more than it did perhaps at some points, there are still moments where it doesn't work as well, obviously still adjusting, the players are very different to how we were under Steve Cooper so we we tend to pass it around quite a lot from the back, as you might have noticed that's kind of where we are, sometimes weak as well, if you put the pressure on and get out of back line especially. There are mistakes that can be made, but also at the same time, if it works for us, it makes gaps the other end, and that's where we create a lot of our chances. So looking at where the players that are going to make the biggest impact are, you'd look no further than Joe Pereira up front. 20 goals this season in his first year in English football very good season for him, nobody was expecting that when he signed for I believe 1.8 million in the summer, only 22 years old, so very good season from him, probably going to go into bigger and better things he'll sit behind just off Michael Fermi up front. Been a bit quiet in the last few games but definitely has improved his form in the second half of the season. I think maybe people have been double marking him and that's been creating the space for Perot. so we'll see how your guys set up and mark those two to see which one perhaps gets the better opportunities. In the centre of the pitch, Matt Grimes as ever is the one that controls the play for us, has done for a couple of years now, very important part of our squad and being captain as well. Keeps us ticking, keeps the ball rolling, but also surprisingly perhaps, with Kyle Norton in the centre-back, in the middle of the back three, he's also vital to the way we play. So he does quite a similar role to Grimes, but from the back three. Brings the ball out, sprays it around, and... I think he's indispensable. Really, the form has definitely dipped when he's not been in the team, and he's definitely a shout for one of our players of the season. Looking at the match against you guys, then perhaps I'll have a better indication after the game against Reading today. But I'm hoping to keep our positive end of the season going. I don't think we're in the playoff picture, but it's kind of a fool's hope that we are still there if we go and win the rest of our games. Potentially, you guys probably looking at it as a more realistic target. So I guess really, really want to meet me. Be making sure you win this game, but I guess we're hoping that we can try and make that difficult for you. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be positive and say we might win the game 2-1, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'm uh, maybe our good form. It's been been a couple of games, so I guess the losses maybe do, but I'll, I'll hope for the best and gonna stay positive. So I'm going 2-1 to the Swans. But good luck. Hope we have a good uh, game over the Bank Holiday and. Um, yeah, shall, uh, shall meet next week. Good luck for the rest of the season. Hope uh, hope it ends well for you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for for coming on there, Luke. Um, and
3: one an eventful game. It was much more eventful when you went, uh, Tom, when it was a 0-0 draw and you described it as the worst game
4: you've ever seen. Um... <laughs> I've said that for about a few games over the years, but that definitely topped a lot.
3: <laughs> um but here's a fun fact for you and this is sponsored by the malt curse the malt curse the official sponsor the official curse of middlesbrough football club um swansea haven't received a penalty for one whole year Do you know when the last one was against middlesbrough and um, it was that controversial one as well um dana as it's the malt curse uh <laughs> what is your thoughts and predictions on the game against swansea
2: um. Did you just do a little Welsh accent at the yeah, end? Yeah, I, I think I, I noticed well. that. I noticed that. <laughs> nice one. Um. Yeah, this is a... I'm a little bit scared about this one. I did say in the Telegram chat this morning, it's this one and Preston that, that terrify me a little bit. Not confident. Probably go for a... Surely we can't go another game without a, without a goal. You know what, we probably will. <laughs> but now I'll probably go... Two one Swansea, but slight um non actually footballing point. But uh, Swansea have some fantastically named players from the Marcus Harness school of very satisfying footballer names. They've got a Joel Latibordier and uh, Ben Cabango, which uh, I think that's probably the best one there, Ben Cabango
3: i i struck I couldn't even say those words and they're right in front of me. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, going for a 2-1 Swansea win, uh Dana. Uh
4: Tom, what are you gonna go for? You know what? Well, I'm going another game where we don't score. I'm gonna go <laughs> 0-0. Uh I think it's gonna be very similar to uh to Bournemouth. Um uh you know, I was gonna say last week, but on Friday. Uh I think it's just gonna be a tough game. It was at the Riverside, um, but I I think we can probably uh focus just long enough to, to get a clean sheet and I, I still don't think we'll score.
3: Well I think we will. Uh I'm gonna go with one nil Middlesbrough. Um and you never know in the you never never know in the championship anything can happen. Not like you two negative ninnies. Um I will look up, I'll be positive. Um but that's it. Guys, thank you very much for coming on. And if you to the listeners, thank you very much for listening as well. But we were hoping for a resurrection over Easter, but Borough's promotion egg has started to crack. And hopefully we'll start to put it look looking at put back together again. What a mouthful that was. Um, but this <laughs> is me and the Bora Breakdown podcast, and that was all your Borough Mash Day chatter in a pod. Up the Bora Breakdown.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinns.